This message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. Praise God. It's, um, yeah, it's good to be with you. It's good to be together. It's good to worship a living God, uh, and it really is a privilege. We say that all the time. But it is a privilege because not everyone knows he's alive yet. Um, but he is alive. And we've been worshipping and thanking him, thanking him for all the great things that he's won for us this morning. And he does have so much for us to move into. He's got so much in store for us. Um, and if we want to see that, if we want to come into the fullness of what he won for us in his death and resurrection, then we need to learn to lay down our own troubles, our own worries, our own thoughts, and just give everything to him and worship him fully. The greatest peace I've ever known in my life was when I laid down everything and said, Jesus, I want it your way. And that took a long, long time. And I knew about it for a long, long time. But when I got there in the end, it was the greatest peace I ever felt. And the greatest peace I feel each day is when I wake up and say, Jesus, not my way, but yours. When we worship him with all of our hearts and all of our lives, we can come into everything that he's got for us. And that is a privilege. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 2, please? You can probably guess what scriptures I'm going to ask us to read. Uh, if, you've, if you weren't familiar with these scriptures before the last few months, and I'm sure you are now, and that is a good thing, because the Word of God is a, a powerful thing. It has transformative power, restoration power. It has the power to bring life in any situation. And it's a seed. The Bible calls it a seed. But for the seed to achieve all that God wants it to achieve, it has to take root in our heart. Um, And you can't get that from just one hearing. You can't think, no, I know that in my mind. That's fine. I don't need to hear it again. It has to go over and over in our hearts. We have to chew on these things. So every time we come to the scriptures, even though it's something we've heard before, we need to come to it afresh and say, yes, Lord, this is your word for us today. We're going to chew on it together. So Acts chapter 2 from verse 42. This is describing the fellowship of the believers. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done throughout the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's the word of the Lord. That's not just a historical account, but that is the Holy Spirit speaking through Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, sharing his heart for what he wants us to be together. Um, it, it is a template, but it's, it's so much more than that. It's got life in it, if we'll take it into our hearts. And that's what we've obviously been looking at together over the last few months, um, and we'll continue to probably for the rest of our lives, uh, as we grow into all that God has for us. Hallelujah. Um, when you read this passage and when you read the chapters that surround it, um, Well, the key word in the first verse there is they devoted themselves. And it clearly is describing a people who were devoted, a people who, as we've been looking at over the last few weeks, they were worshipping God with their whole lives, as in it's more than just the 30 minutes, 40 minutes that we sing together on a Sunday morning. Worship is, it affects every action, every word that comes out of our mouth. They were devoted. But um, I think sometimes in the past when I've thought of devotion, I thought of it in a very um, somber way. You can think of devotion and worship as in, like the furrowed brow prayer, where you're praying like this, Lord, we're so sincere, we're so devoted. And there is that aspect to it. But when you read this passage in the surrounding chapters, there's joy in what they do. They're devoted, but with a smile on their face and a spring in their step. Um, That's a kind of joyful worship which God wants from us. Uh, which God has created us for, and which God has made possible through the pouring out of his Holy Spirit. Um, They they took on a new lease of life compared to before that. Um, The disciples here in all throughout Acts uh, were devoted to God, but devoted and full of joy. That it was never, um, we we have to do this because we know Jesus is alive and he's Lord, and we've got to 
got to obey him or else. It wasn't like that at all. It was more a case of, Lord, we love you so much. And everything that we do comes from an overflow of the heart, an outpouring of praise from our lives. Um, that's the plan of God. And we were created to adore God in this way. Our hearts were made to adore um, our minds were made to be filled with wonder and to marvel at different things. It's how God made us to be. Um, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's right that worship and devotion should be like this. It's the most natural thing. It's one of the most natural things that God has made for us to do is to worship. It's one of the most natural responses to something amazing is to go, oh, wow, oh, I love that. Um, I'll show you something. Um, I have here an iPhone 5. So I, I quite like technology. And when I got this, um, as I said, it is an iPhone. So some people might be silently hissing now. Other people are maybe cheering and the rest of you are just indifferent, which is fine. But I got an iPhone and I was quite excited when I got it. Um, because I quite like technology, and so um, when I got it, I was playing with it a lot, and I was giving it a lot of my time. Uh, I was kind of reading up about what I could do with it, because it interested me. And you know what? I never, ever had to say, uh, I, I must remember when I get home to schedule in 30 minutes to spend on my iPhone. <laughs> I, never, I never had to kind of squeeze that into my agenda. I just found it happened naturally because I was interested in it, and it was just throughout the day, I would just kind of be playing on it. This isn't good. It's not a... Uh, not a very positive thing I'm admitting to here, but um, I, I never had to squeeze it in, and it was because I was really, really fascinated by it. I think for a brief period, I was, I was adoring it a bit. You know, it, it had kept, well, I'm, be careful now. It had, uh, it had captured my attention, and it was no difficulty for me to spend time playing with it. Um, and it's like that. When something captures our hearts, it just comes very naturally. And thankfully, I'm over my iPhone. I'm going to put it back in my pocket now. It won't distract me, I promise. But um, when, when something captures our hearts like that, we find ourselves also speaking passionately about it as well, without any coercion. It's just kind of natural. Um, and we think about it a lot as well. Um, and also, I, some of you have probably seen there was a new Jurassic Park movie trailer that was released this week. Uh, I was very excited about that. The first Jurassic Park came out in 1993 when I was in school. Um, and that movie gave me almost a decade of dinosaur-based dreams. <laughs> That's how much I love that movie. Seriously, for almost 10 years, I would regularly have dreams with, like, velociraptors in chasing me. But when you love something, you'll dream about it as well. It just affects your whole being. It affects your whole life. Um, it's a natural outpouring of our hearts and our adoration. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with the things that God has created. Everything he made was good, and it's right for us to get interested in it. It's right for us to be fascinated by them. It's only a problem when it takes a station in our hearts which is above that which God gave it. That is, when it's competing with God for first place in our hearts. When it comes anywhere close to that, we have to watch out. Um, and we're going to look at a, a story um, of Israel, ancient Israel. You're all familiar with it, or most of you are probably familiar with it. It's the story of the golden calf. Um, it's one of Israel's misadventures. Um, throughout the New Testament, it's constantly referring to Israel in, in a way it's kind of saying, don't, don't be like these guys, because they messed up quite a bit in, in quite a few different ways. And this is one of the major, uh, uh, almost comical mishaps in Israel's history. Um, it's a terrible event, but it's just how they could be so ludicrous um, in what they did. So if you turn to Exodus chapter 32 with me, please. Exodus 32. So I'll put this story in context. Um, Israel were obviously, they were slaves in Egypt, but God rescued them by doing many signs and wonders, and he brought them out from slavery, uh, and he brought them to the Red Sea, and then the Israelites were all, oh, no, God, you've led us all the way here, and now we're going to die and be killed by the Egyptians because we can't cross the sea because they failed to trust in God. But God parted the Red Sea, and they crossed over, and then they got over, and they were happy, and they sung a song on the other side. 
Um, and then they were walking through the wilderness as God is leading them into this promised land. Um, and it's a land uh, which is going to be flown with milk and honey. So it's got uh, all the resources they could want. It's all the promises which God has for them, which he made to their fathers and their fathers before them. Great things that God has promised for them. And he chose them, he set them apart, and he said, I'm going to lead you into this wonderful new place. So they get over the Red Sea, um, and they start walking there, and then they get a bit hungry, and then they start to moan about it. Um, So God gives them miracle food, manna from heaven to feed them, and that's exciting for a little while. And then they start to moan about it because they're eating it all the time. Uh, And they actually... I remember specifically the things they uh, complain about. They say, in Egypt, we had fish, melon, cucumber, leeks, onions, garlic. That sounds like the weirdest stew ever. (laughs) But those are the things that they missed. After eating this miracle food which God had made appear for them, they got tired of it and said, oh, guys, the fish. Do you remember the fish and the melons that we had? Do you know? And, And they start to kind of reminisce about it all together. They get a bit nostalgic and they say, do you know what, life was so good in Egypt. We had all the melon you could eat and all the cucumber. Do you remember it? Do you know, why did we ever leave that place? Why did we? Yeah, okay, sure we were slaves. And yes, Pharaoh was killing all our children, but come on. I mean, the fish, guys, the leeks, do you remember? Do you remember as kids growing up and chasing each other through, through the leek patches and a big onion sandwich and things like that, guys? Ah. Oh kids today, they don't get that. They don't get how good life was. I mean, sure, they're alive, which I guess is good, but can we really call it living if they don't have an onion sandwich, if they can't have a whole clove of garlic? Every, I don't know. They got very nostalgic about life in Egypt, which is quite ridiculous because, as we said, they were slaves there, and Pharaoh was killing all the new boys. It wasn't a great situation for them to be in, um, but nostalgia is, it gives you a distorted view of the past. Uh, it, it'll always do that. It's not a true representation of what happened. Right. When you look back with nostalgic eyes, you see all the good things and you forget all the bad things and you think, life was so good there. And that's how, strangely, Israel got. They were in the wilderness and they were looking back to their life in slavery and hard labor and thinking, oh, things were so good because we didn't have to eat this miracle food which God's given us. God. And it's ridiculous. Anyway, we, we go on from there. Uh, they complain about a few more things. And then we get, um, we get to Mount Sinai. Um, and it's on Mount Sinai that Moses and Joshua go up to meet with God. Um, and they're there for 40 days in total. Uh, and it's at some point, I guess towards the end of that 40 days, we come in now to chapter 32. So I'll read the first part. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain... The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So Aaron strangely said to them, Okay, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's just crazy, really, isn't it? Um, It's utterly bizarre. Um, They'd come so far. They'd been led by God through many miraculous signs. Uh, You know, they're talking about a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire by night. All the miracles we've talked about, all the provision and the promises that God was leading them into as well. There's the great things to come. But because Moses disappeared for about 40 days, they got impatient. I mean, how ridiculous is that? After all that they'd seen, they suddenly thought, well, time's up. We need a new God now. It's just absurd. It's one of the most ridiculous things in human history. Um, it, they traded him in. They traded in the living God who'd done so many great things for them, who'd set them apart, who'd poured out his love on them, who'd redeemed them and said, I've got so many good things to give to you if you'll just listen to me and just follow my lead. After 40 days in a place, you know, they were in the wilderness and they thought, well, this is, this is a bit rubbish, really. 
can't sit around here all day. After 40 days, they traded it all in. And they decided we need a new God and a new leader. It's, it's absolutely absurd. Um, <laughs> it really is. And that's relevant to us, though, because, you know, we've been singing this morning and God's been speaking to us, saying about all that he's won for us, and it's a great thing. And when we get redeemed and we follow him and we've got, you know, we're so excited about it. But then if you don't see all the promises come to pass straight away, sometimes we can get a bit frustrated. And sometimes we do grow impatient, which is ridiculous. Again, the idea of, you know, us or Israel getting impatient with God when he's the one who has the right to be impatient with us. Um, people get impatient. And it's like, why? We can't stop here because that would be to trade in um, the living God for, for what? Something worthless. That would be to get a half gospel, a halfway gospel. He's brought us out of slavery, out of sin, out of all the bad things. And we're heading towards all the promises of God, all the things. I mean, throughout this book, all the promises of God, good things in store for us. Yeah. And we get halfway there and think, well, actually, I'm a bit tired. So I might go off in a different direction now. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, and yet it can so easily happen. I mean, for us, of course, it's, um, it's a lot more subtle than it was with Israel. You know, the world at that time and that part of the world, it was people would worship physical idols. And you won't find many people in South Leicestershire today who are worshiping actual physical idols. I don't think so anyway. In our culture, you never know. In our culture, um, you'd be surprised to find that. But it's a much more subtle thing now because idolatry, like I mentioned at the beginning, anything which is competing with God for a first place in our heart is an idol in that way. Um, I mean, we, we've talked about some. David mentioned a list a few weeks back, food, holidays, all these things which people can become obsessed with in a way that's not healthy. Food is good. Holidays are good. Technology is good. But everything in its right place. Yeah. People can worship other people. Celebrity culture is massive here, isn't it? Um, and not just, you know, celebs on TV. You've got um, intellectual celebrities as well, politicians, people like this. People can get obsessed with them. and It's absolutely absurd. Um, also, ideas. People can get totally obsessed by ideas. We've seen it throughout history. People can be gripped by uh, science is the answer to everything, or socialism is the answer to everything, or one thing or another. Um, and they become obsessed with them. But it's just an idea. It's not, it's not eternal. It's not the living God. It's not going to fulfill us. But these are the things which people will elevate to wrongful places. Um, and the question I guess we need to ask ourselves is what do we put our hope in? It's a big, big thing. We were looking at it last year, what hope is. People put their hope in all sorts of things which are not God and which are less than God, which are as, as silly as a golden calf, really. But if we, look at, if we go back and look at the story of the golden calf, there are some, I think there are some parallels we can look at which will be useful to us because, again, focusing on the absurdity of the situation, they take all their gold and they decide, right, okay, we've had this God who's um, he was a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud and he's done many miraculous signs, did many awesome things, and now who shall we have? What shall we choose for our new God? And they chose a cow, they chose to worship a cow. Um, it's ridiculous. It's like, um, I think one aspect of it is that they, they just wanted something that they could see, having an actual idol before them. And perhaps they thought um, to themselves that, uh, do you know, I don't, I don't get this Yahweh. Uh, I don't get this God. I know this guy Moses turns up and he says he met him in a burning bush. I haven't seen that bush, so I don't know if he's still there. And then Moses was doing all these miracles in his name, whenever he raised his staff. So may, maybe the God lives in the staff, I don't, I don't understand. And then he, was, he turned into this pillar of cloud and then a pillar of fire. And now he's up on this mountain with like the storm of the century going on there. I can't, I can't get my head around this God. I don't get him, I don't understand him. But you know what I do understand? Cows. <laughs> you know where you are with a cow. You, you, can, you can rely on a cow to not move very far. You can rely on a cow to not turn itself into a pillar of fire. You know, I, I can reach out and touch a cow. It's there. That's nice and easy. I'd like, a, I'd like a cow god because I can wrap my head around a cow god. Yeah? People want something they can wrap their head around. They want something they can put in a box. 
Um, but our God is not like that. We're going to spend eternity getting to know him. Because he's so big, we will never reach the end of him. Um, and we've talked about this before, but people think, oh, you know, if I could see Jesus, if I was there, it would have been so much easier to follow the physical Jesus. But tens of thousands of people saw him and had no clue what was going on and abandoned him because they weren't open to what the Spirit was trying to tell them. Um, when Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, he said, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit revealed that to you. Yes. It's not something you can see in the natural. Even if Jesus was standing here physically today, without the Spirit, without listening to the Spirit, you wouldn't get it at all. Yes. It takes faith. God looks for faith. Yes. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. That's what he wants. So, that was aggressive. Um, even without, uh, even without being here and, and being visible for us to see and touch, it always takes faith to, to meet God. Yeah. Um, another reason why they could have chosen a cow, um, I think life following God um, was quite challenging in the sense that God was leading them as this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire again, and he would say, uh, when I move, you've got to move with me. You've got to follow me. You've got to be obedient to all these things and all these signs I'm going to do. You know, they went through the wilderness and there was no food around. And they had to trust in him to provide food for them. They had to trust in God. And it wasn't always easy. It was quite challenging. Um, in a way, quite demanding because God was teaching them to trust in him. Um, but you know, a cow demands nothing of you. A, ca a cow was just happy with a bit of grass. Maybe pat it. I don't know pat its head or something. I don't know what cows like. But a cow is certainly never going to uh, suddenly up and move and say, everyone follow me. Especially when it's made of gold, because it's quite heavy and it's not going to move unless you pick it up and carry it with you. Um, a cow is not demanding. A cow just lets you be your own boss. Um, and probably the biggest or the most popular false god that we see today is the god of self, where people make themselves lord of their lives. And if you are Lord of your own life, then you don't have to do anything that you don't want to. You don't have to do anything that you're uncomfortable with. If you want to stay in bed all day, you can do that because you're Lord of your life. Following God will be challenging, but it is exciting. And it is the way we were born to live. You weren't created to do nothing. You weren't created to be inactive. You weren't created to just... Um, come to your own conclusion about what's best for your life and what's best for the world. God has a great plan, and he wants us to follow him. In. And he's leading us into the promises, but on the way, we do have to learn to trust in him. And it's not always easy, but we're together, and we can do it together. Following God is challenging. Following a cow demands nothing of you. Another reason... Um, why I think they might have chosen a cow was that uh, it was made of gold and therefore very shiny. Um, now, there's nothing wrong with gold because God made it and he made it to reflect his glory. Um, he even in the construction of his temple, he asked that gold would be used for it. it either, all the things that God has made are good. Um, there's nothing wrong with them at all. And we can get ourselves caught up um, like the Israelites in the shiny things. So we can sometimes look at the outside, the superficial, the material things, and they can excite us, they can attract us, they can draw us in. And again, God made them that way, and that's fine. Um, but they're just superficial. The thing about God is, he doesn't hide himself. He'll never hide himself from us. Um, he says that when anyone is oppressed and they call out, he will hear them. If we seek him, we'll find him. That's his promise to us. He makes himself plain. But at the same time, he wants us to search for him and to seek him and to get to know him more. Um, if you look with me, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. It's Ephesians 3, verse 8. This is Paul speaking. I'll go from verse 7, actually. 
of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light everything what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's that line in verse 8 which gets me. The unsearchable riches of Christ. There's something about God that once you... um, once you've committed to serving him and following him, he is yours and we're his, and we've got him, but at the same time, he's got unsearchable riches. And like I said, we'll spend all eternity getting to know who he is. And that's something that captivated Paul. If you turn over a few pages to Philippians chapter 3. From verse 7, Paul says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us be true to what what we've attained. Paul had Christ. No one would deny that. It was evidence in how he lived his life. But at the same time, he was always straining forward for more of Christ. He was captivated captivated by his understanding of God. He had received this heavenly vision when he got saved, when he got converted. He saw something of Christ and that had just captured his heart and everything he was doing from them was putting aside everything that would hinder him, forgetting all the past and just straining on for more of Christ, more of Christ. Like I said, there are lots of shiny things in the world, there are lots of good things in the world, but they only have superficial value. It's only God who will satisfy our every needs. It's only God that we can never reach to the end of. We were created to worship God, not any other thing. And every other thing will just disappoint us. Um, look with me in Luke chapter 11 as well. He's a God who meets real needs as well. I'm not just talking about this in in the abstract sense. He's a real God to meet real needs. When we talk about him being spirit, we don't mean, oh, he's kind of ethereal and you can't really get a hold of him. Spirit is real because God is real and he affects the physical reality. When he saves us, he saves a whole part of us, body, soul, spirit. He wants to bring everything of us into the fullness of his blessing. This is Jesus uh, teaching, and he says, let's have a look. From Luke 11, verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Well, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is an interesting couple of verses because, uh, and I, I played this game with people in Tamworth, see if you can spot the difference, okay? So we've got um, fish, egg, Holy Spirit. Which is the odd one out there? Don't be shy. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit, correct? <laughs> Jesus is talking about earthly fathers giving physical things to their children, giving good gifts, fish, again, 
eggs, and so on. And then he says, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? And it's almost like he's kind of changing from talking about meeting a material need to something completely different. But what he's saying is, if you've got the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need. If you have God, all your needs will be met. It's like that saying, you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Give a man the Holy Spirit, he's got everything he needs for life and godliness. (laughs) Um, But it's true, if we have God, he meets all our needs. It's everything that we need. Our God is supremely valuable. He is the most valuable one. In the entire universe and beyond, he's the only one who can satisfy our souls. No one else has that power. If we have him, we've got all we need. And we shouldn't make him a, a supplementary God, or rather supplement him with other things. Going back to, we won't have to turn back, but in Exodus 32, it was really interesting because they make this golden calf, and then Aaron, continuing his slightly crazy theme, says, okay, now tomorrow we're going to have a feast to the Lord. So they've just made a new God, and then they still, they're still trying to justify it by kind of worshipping God as well. It's like they've made this cow this cow god, and then they say to Israel, these are your gods, plural. Here's the nice one you can see and touch, which won't do anything to offend you. And the other one's the one with all the power. These are your gods, let's worship them. But they supplemented their god with something else. And it can actually be quite easy to do that. A.W. Tozer talked about um, the problem with when we're always praying and asking for God and something. I'm seeking Jesus and this, Jesus and that Jesus is all we need he really is if we have him if we have the Holy Spirit it's all we need Um, but we can it's quite easy to trick ourselves really we can go about thinking oh yeah it's fine me kind of getting fascinated with I, I still love God God's first place but we're elevating other things in our hearts that start to compete and we can trick ourselves um and if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and reveal to us where we've gone wrong. It can be very easy to supplement God with lesser things. But he's all sufficient. Um, Matthew chapter 13. Just a couple of short verses. This is when Jesus is sharing some of the parables of the kingdom. Verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven... It's like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Notice that the merchant did not buy this other pearl to add to his collection. He traded in all those other pearls he'd collected to get this one thing, Because this one pill was more valuable than anything else. If he had that, everything else paled in comparison. That's what it's like with Christ. When we we choose Christ, we can put everything else aside. Because if we have him, everything else pales in comparison. Um, We we sing this song sometimes, and it's a modern rendition of Be Thou My Vision. And I love it. Um, And there's a line in that, I don't want riches or man's earthly praise. Be my inheritance now and always. And that line always got me because, where does it say that God's our inheritance? And I found it in the end in Psalm 16, um, which is a beautiful psalm. And it's really really blessed me over the last few months. But um, there's a part in it where it says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. He holds my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have received a beautiful inheritance. He is our inheritance. He's all that we need. He really is. Take God at his word. When he says that, take him at his word. He will meet our needs. Everything else is just going to be a cheap copy or an imitation. And and the funny thing about it, um, we've talked before about um, worshipping God is not about emotions. As in, I'm not led by emotions as to when I worship God and how I worship him. We make a decision to worship him. And it's true. And the more I think about it, the more I think that Um, the decision to put aside everything else and focus purely on on him is the most rational, clear-headed decision you can ever make. It's just pure logic. I'm telling you about it. Because 
Um, you can put off worshipping God. You can go your whole life ignoring him. But there's going to come a day, and this is Philippians 2, and it's a great scripture. We read it quite often. Philippians 2, there's going to come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Everybody one day is going to see Jesus and know that he's Lord. Everybody will bow before him in worship. So why? it's just a stall. If you don't want to worship him now, you're just stalling the inevitable. Um, and, and when it says that scripture, when people actually see him and bow the knee and, and confess that he's Lord, it's not, it's not coercion. It's not like one day you'll see Jesus Christ physically and you'll think, oh, you were right, I was wrong. You're Lord, bow the knee. It's like anybody could actually do that. It's an overflow of the heart again. When we see him, when we see him as he is, in all his glory and all his beauty and all his power. I mean, everybody who's had a vision of God in the scripture that you can just read them kind of struggling to explain it, what they've seen in the spirit. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, there's bronze and there's fire and there's, there's shining white and there's all these different things and it's hard for them to describe. When we see Jesus, we'll be so overawed that out of our mouths will flow the words. Jesus said this, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When everyone sees him and says, Jesus is Lord, it will just be, that's because all they could say. And when they bow the knee, it's because physically that's all they can do. It's a natural reaction to seeing God as he is. Um, I I used to think when I was uh, a lot younger, and I was angry for some reason, I can't remember why, um, but I used to think, oh, when I see God on that last day, when I see, I'll have some questions for him, <laughs> which is ridiculous. And I know some people f- uh, think like that as well, but um, I used to think that, and it's so absurd, the idea that anybody, when they see him face to face, will be composed enough to say, now actually, God, I know you're, yeah, you're blinding me with your glory right now, but actually, I've got a few things <laughs> which you haven't considered with your omniscience and your knowledge of all time from start to finish. I've got a few things which you need to hear. It's ridiculous. When everybody sees him, the reaction will be to worship. That's because all we can do is worship him. Um, and I, I know I'm talking about, you know, one day, the final day, when everyone will see him. But we can taste of that now. Worship is seeking his face. That's what we do when we sing songs, when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time in the Word. We're seeking His face. Um, 27th Psalm. It's just one part from that. Oh, you know what? I'll read more. Um, It's verse 8 in particular where it says, You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. That's the call of God for us, is to seek his face. And we can do that now. We have been doing that now. God will always reveal more of himself to us. We don't have to wait to some other day. God wants us to be captivated by him. What you... um, Jesus said this also, the eye is the lamp of the whole body. So in the sense that what you see affects your body, and what affects your heart then affects your mouth. If we focus on seeking Jesus, if we look for him as for buried treasure, as for a pearl of great price, if we see him, then worship will flow naturally from that. The idea of trading that in for anything less, anything that won't satisfy us, is just ridiculous. He wants us to seek his face now. And there's just, um, we talked a lot about how we worship God anyway, but there's just a couple of things I want to say in how we can pursue him, how we can seek his face. The first thing is to determine in your heart to do it. Um, And that's key. Feelings follow faith, not the other way around. Faith doesn't follow feelings. It's feelings that follow faith. When we make the decision to follow him, feelings come after. Jesus said, believe and you'll see. Um, I always used to be waiting. Um, when I grew up in the church, I was just waiting for that, uh, for that one word I was going to hear, which was going to inspire me, and then everything would be plain sailing from there on. 
that one word or that one conference I'd go to which would just kind of pick me up and turn me around and I'd become the super Christian which I wanted to be. Um, I was always waiting for something else to make the decision for me, something else to take hold of my emotions and turn them towards God. But God says, determine to seek him and the feelings will follow. Feelings are important. God, God wants us to be excited. God, you know, he's got, again, so many good promises that he's leading us into. He wants us to get excited by it. But we make the decision first and the feelings follow after. Um, the second thing, expect to be blessed. Hebrews 11 verse 6, um, whoever comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. God is excited to meet with us. He genuinely is. He's actually eager to meet with us. It's not like we're entering the headmaster's room and you go and it's like this eerie silence and he's very strict and he says, come in children. It's not like that at all. God is eager to meet with us. We're his children that he loves and he's excited by it. That's why he made a way so easy for us to get into his presence. And when we meet with him, you know, we, we can be there and we can get to know him and, and we can love him and see his face and become more like him. But also he wants us to do business with him as well. God, God wants us to agree on things together. That, um, in the story of the golden calf, when Moses is coming down from the mountain, um, or before that, actually, God tells them what's happened. So while, while you've been up here, Moses, they've been down uh, making a cow god. Uh, so you need to go down and sort all that out. Um, and God says he's going to destroy Israel and from a remnant bring up a, an even mightier group. Um, and then Moses said, no, Lord, don't do that. Save them. And it's not as if, uh, again, this is God we're talking about who knows the start and end of all things. He, he knows everything. He's all-powerful. It's not as if Moses brought something to his attention which God hadn't considered himself. It's not like Moses had said something God thought, well, actually, you're right. I won't do that. It's ridiculous. But God wanted him to engage in conversation. God wants us to dialogue with him. God wants us to agree on things together and make things happen. He's eager and he's waiting on us to come to him. And the final thing is just to drink. Um, that classic psalm says, as a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you, Lord. The Bible tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. You need to taste. Once we've made the decision, once we come expectant that he's willing to meet with us, that he's excited to meet with us, then it's just to drink and fill our hearts with him. We can come to him in full assurance of the faith. Spend time in his word. Spend time together with the people of God. Spend time with those who love him. Worship him together. Just drink of the Lord. I've um, said all that I feel I need to say. And I don't, I've been talking about idols, and I don't mean to condemn anyone at all. So all I mean is that the Holy Spirit will reveal these things to us. Um, it's not for me to say what is an idol and what isn't an idol in any of our lives, but we can look at the scriptures together. And so we know what the Holy Spirit sounds like because we're familiar with his word. And then when he speaks to us about certain things, we know that's his voice. Um, but God is so good. We can't trade him in for anything less, for a golden cow or anything other than that. Lord, we just want to thank you that you are an awesome God that you meet all of our needs. Lord, we want to thank you that you have rescued us from slavery. You've rescued us from death. You've rescued us from our old way of living, Lord God. You've taken us up from the Maori clay, from uncertainty and fear. And you've promised a glorious future for us, Lord. And you are bringing us into that day by day by day. Thank you, Jesus, that you are resurrected that we're not, we're not fighting a battle, Lord, but we're standing in a victory which you've already won for us, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you are supreme. You are the one who will satisfy all of our needs. You are the all-sufficient one, Lord God. And if there's anything in our hearts which is vying for first place with you, Lord, we lay it down so that we can know your peace, so that we can know the fullness of the blessing you have for us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.